0: Reading uh, is um, Acts 25, 1 through 12. Now, after, now, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem for Caesarea, and the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul, and they urged him, asking as a favor against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him on the way. Festus replied that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly. So, said he, let the men of authority among you go down with me, and if there is anything wrong about the man, let them bring charges against him. After he stayed among them not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea, and the next day he took his seat on the tribunal and ordered Paul to be brought And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove. Paul argued in his defense, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar have I committed any offense. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges before me? But Paul said, I am standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. To the Jews, I have done no wrong, as you yourself know very well. If them, then I am a wrongdoer and I have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with his council, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. The grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our God shall stand forever. I was first uh, politically alert when I was five years old. I can recall uh, placards and and bumper stickers being uh, distributed for the 1960 Kennedy-Nixon campaign. Uh, I was uh, involved in, in the, the um, McGovern-Nixon campaign of 1972 uh, and involved again in the, uh, the uh, 1980 uh, campaign of Carter and Reagan. In the, in the latter case, I was distributing leaflets as part of a course requirement uh, with none other than George S. Patton IV, the son of the great World War II uh, general as we went from factory to factory handing out uh, leaflets. Uh, The subjects uh, about which there was so much debate back in 1980 was having to do with the uh, Cold War and foreign policy and taxes and the economy. Uh, Now, we we still discuss those matters, but we uh, we have added Uh, to the list of subjects far more fundamental, like what does it mean to be human and what does it mean to be male and female and what is a family and what is marriage and what are the rights of parents and what is to be the outlook of the church in the context of a hostile civil government or state, as I'll be referring to the civil government throughout this uh, message. Uh, So how are Christian people to view the state? How are we to view politics? Uh, Should we be involved or uninvolved? Well, on either end of the spectrum, two two wrong views. Uh, One is to demonize the state, to see it as evil and to be avoided at all costs. That's the point of view of the ancient Donatists from the fourth century, the Anabaptists at the time of the Reformation, and it's still the view of the uh, Amish and and, uh, other uh, groups uh, within the Christian community. Uh, at the other extreme is the uh, the temptation to deify the te- the state to to give it uh, practically a, a messianic mandate to solve uh, all uh, problems to solve poverty and crime and disease and ignorance and and to usher in the kingdom of God through right policies uh, properly enforced and uh, included in this area are such views as those of the liberation theologians and, and, and those who have the uh, more extreme view of, of civil religion. So the question I want to try to answer this morning is where does the truth lie? The apostle Paul is in trouble. He needs help. He may lose his rights and he may lose his head. And so what is he to do? Well, what he does is he appeals to Caesar. Uh, that, that means there must be a legitimate, even a divinely appointed role for the state. And it means that there's also a divinely appointed role uh, in society and for even us as God's redeemed people. So let's take a look at the situation. Uh, be, looking at first at uh, verse uh, 25... Of chapter 24, the apostle Paul has spent two years in prison without charges. Uh, the government has shifted from Felix, who has been replaced by Festus. It's about 60 A.D. Um, Festus will be uh, serve as governor for for just for two years, and then he will die in office. As tensions are mounting uh, throughout Palestine, and then those tensions will erupt in in a war known to history as the Jewish Wars in 66 A.D that will culminate in the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD at the hands of Titus and the Roman legions. Uh, So as we read in verse 1, three days after Festus had arrived in the province, he went up to Jerusalem uh, from Caesarea. So if you're looking at the map, he's moving down or south from Caesarea, 55 miles from Jerusalem, but it says he went up because uh, Jerusalem is elevated, and so you go up to Jerusalem even if you're going down the map. And the chief priests and the principal men of the Jews laid out their case against Paul and they urged him, that is Festus, asking a favor, that's a charis, a grace, against Paul that he summon him to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush to kill him uh, on the way. So what, what's happening here is that Festus is just, in, just arrived in office and he's paying a goodwill visit uh, to the premier city of his his realm and Paul's restless persecutors are wasting no time uh, renewing the charges uh, against him hoping in the process to exploit uh, Festus's inexperience Festus replied in verse 4 that Paul was being kept at Caesarea and that he himself intended to go there shortly so what's uh, What's behind this? Well, he doesn't want to get entangled in a complicated case while in Jerusalem. He wants to get back to his palace in Caesarea. Or he may have sniffed out the evil intentions that's behind the intensity of the charges that uh, the high priests and the the leading citizens are bringing against the Apostle Paul. So said he, let the men of authority among you go down, that is, go north to to Caesarea. And if, if there is anything wrong about the man... Let them bring charges against him. So let's go back up to Caesarea. Let's uh, hold court there. After he stayed among them, and that is the leading citizens of, in Jerusalem, not more than eight or ten days, he went down to Caesarea. And the next day, he took his seat on the tribunal. Uh, that word uh, tribunal indicates a formal courtroom proceeding and ordered Paul, Paul to be brought And when he had arrived, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood around him, bringing many and serious charges against him that they could not prove, likely to be the same charges that they made with Felix back in chapter 24, verses 5 and 6. And then verse 8 says, Paul argued in his defense neither against the law of the Jews nor against the temple nor against against Caesar have I committed any offense. So he has this threefold rebuttal. Probably the same or similar to that that was recorded in verses 10 through 21 of the previous chapter. And Festus knows that Paul is innocent of the accusations being made against him. That is admitted by Festus later. However, he has political calculations to make. He, he would like to you know, secure the support of the leading citizens in, in, in Jerusalem and to do them a favor if, if he can. So while there's ju- the claims of justice on the one side, there's the political factors that he's taking into account that lies behind the question that he asks in, in verse 9. But Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, said to Paul, Do you wish to go up to Jerusalem and there be tried on these charges uh, before, before me? Now, Paul knows he will not get he will not get a fair trial in Jerusalem, not uh, with uh, uh, the opposition and the hostility of the Jewish authorities and not with a governor who wants to uh, secure the, you know, the support and the favor and the goodwill uh, of the leadership uh, of the premier city of, over which he has jurisdiction. He knows he will not get a fair trial. So he responds, but Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. I'm a, I, I, I'm a Roman citizen. I, I, it's, it's right for me to be in a Roman, a, a, a Roman court. To the Jews, I have done no wrong as you yourself know very well, he says uh, to Festus. If them I am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which I deserve to die, I, I do not seek to escape death. But if there is nothing to the charges against me, no one can give me up to them. So what's uh, the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying, look, I am under the proper jurisdiction, and I'm willing to be found guilty in a proper court, but I'm not willing to subject myself to some kangaroo court that, that has already reached a predetermined conclusion. So then, I appeal to Caesar... And now this is the fourth time that the Apostle Paul has insisted upon his rights. It's the third time he has insisted upon his rights as a Roman citizen. Hephaestus, when he had conferred with his counsel, answered, To Caesar you have appealed, to Caesar you shall go. All right, so let's, uh, let's look at the lessons that are implied by the Apostle Paul's appeal. I mean, in other words, what, what, what is the thinking that's behind I think there's a number of lessons here that are critical for us to understand the proper role of the state. So number one, the civil government has a God-ordained role. You could question the Apostle Paul at this point. You could say, well, Paul, why don't you just pray? Why don't you just trust God? Why do you have to appeal to the civil government? I believe that that question is, is forcing a false dilemma and a false choice. The Apostle Paul is trusting God by trusting the God-ordained means of protecting the innocent and of ensuring justice. So here's the apostle's own words when he wrote his epistle to the Romans, Romans 13, uh, verses 1 through 7. You might want to put your finger or bookmark at that text. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that that exist have been established by God. He's writing that uh, to Rome. Rome is under the authority of the, of the, of the Roman emperor. All of, all of those emperors taking the name of Caesar, one Caesar or another. Uh, we're around the time when Nero is, uh, is the uh, emperor in, in Rome. And yet the apostle Paul says that that authority has been established by God. It has a God-given role to play. Instituted of God is the way the New American Standard translates that word. Uh, Behind what the Apostle Paul's thinking is Genesis 9-6, post-diluvian world after the flood. God institutes restraints in society by which to prevent the world forever becoming as corrupt as it was uh, in the period before Noah and the flood. And here's part of what he institutes. Genesis 9-6, whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For for in the image of God has God made mankind. Capital punishment there was instituted along with the policing and legal structures that would be necessary in order to carry out that verdict. In other words, enough enough of 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 a government to see that life is protected and laws are enforced as a means of restraining evil. So it's somewhat counterintuitive. Capital punishment, which is the taking of a life, is putting a premium of value on life itself, on human life itself. And so it is guarding the the sanctity of life by requiring that the ultimate price be paid for those who would dare to take life. And so with the institution of capital punishment among human beings, all the government structures and legal structures that are necessary in order to properly apply that verdict are being put in place and authorized by God. What's that mean? Well, it means that uh, the civil government is not evil. It's not inherently evil. In other words, it it means that the Anabaptist tradition is wrong about civil authority. As for trusting God, uh, you may know the story of, uh, I'm sure it's apocryphal, about the the man who was shipwrecked, floating around in the ocean, and a lifeboat comes and pulls up alongside of him and says, uh, You're rescued. Hop in, and he says, "No, I'm trusting God to save me." Uh, So the lifeboat goes on, and the man remains uh, unrescued because he's trusting God. He's been praying that God will rescue him, and so he's going to trust that God's going to do that, and and, uh, he's not going to depend upon any human agent. Well, that'd be absolutely foolish. We recognize that. Well, the same is true of the civil government. Civil government was instituted in order to protect the Apostle Paul. He's a Roman citizen. He wants the, the the rightly wants and asks for the protection of the Roman government since he is a Roman citizen. That's the purpose for which God instituted civil government. In that Romans 13 passage, he refers to the civil authorities as servants of God and ministers of God. Those are exalted terms. They are meant to they are meant to execute God's purposes on, on earth. We are not tainted by involvement in politics. In fact, it's needed that Christians be involved in politics so that our voice is heard, our concerns are, con, are considered. And to serve as a, mo, no, no, as a civil magistrate is a, is a noble service to enter into, to be a civil magistrate. Uh, to, be, to be involved in the, the political realm. And Christians should not abandon the, the civil realm because if we do, our voice goes unheard, we are unrepresented, our, 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 our issues are unvoiced. There's, a, there's an old uh, joke about uh, Christians in Washington, D.C., uh, doing the Lord's work in the devil's town, uh, that, that you know uh, there 's an element of truth about that. I understand the cynicism that we have about all institutions uh, today and, and and much of that cynicism is well deserved whether we 're talking about you know ac- academic in- institutions or, or or business institutions or um, any of the other in- institutions in-, in our society. nevertheless, uh, as Christians, we need to take seriously what The Bible teaches us about the the civil government. It is a servant of God. It is a minister of God. And so the apostle Paul says, continuing his, his thoughts, this is why you pay taxes, Romans 13, 6. Why do you pay taxes? For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Verse 7, Romans 13. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If, if revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Civil government has a God-ordained role to play. Uh, number two, civil government is charged to ensure justice. So what is it the Apostle Paul fears that motivates him to appeal to Caesar? Why does he make the appeal? He, he, he fears injustice. He, he, he doesn't believe justice will be done in a Jewish court in Jerusalem, given the conditions, given given the factors that are involved. So he's appealing to Caesar because he believes through the Roman government he will get a just hearing. So the state's role is to ensure that there are just laws and that those laws are equally applied. And in Romans 13, the Apostle Paul assigns uh, expounds the the role of the civil government under under two basic headings number 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 a let's call it a they're to punish lawbreakers and, and paul recognizes this function when when he says that uh, in, in in verse eleven if i am a wrongdoer and have committed anything for which i deserve to die i do not seek to escape death in other words there's there's a recognition that lawbreakers should be punished and that that's a, that's a that's a task that God has assigned uh, to, the, to, the, to, the, to, to the civil government. And then it is to protect the, in, the innocent. Punish uh, the criminals, protect the innocent. Protect their life, protect their liberty, protect their property by, by instituting just laws and using the power of the sword to stop and protect the innocent and ensure the due process of law. So looking again at Romans 13, uh, verse 4, the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. The only, uh, the only institution, as it were, that has the legitimacy to publicly wield the sword is the civil government. So God has given it the sword in order to do what? In order to protect the innocent and and to punish the evildoers, the wrongdoers. If you do wrong, be afraid. Rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. You see, you have a whole theory of government in the Bible. Therefore, it is necessary, Paul, writing to us, writing to Christians all through the centuries, to submit to the authorities not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. The state has two basic tasks, to punish the criminals and to protect the innocent. For those purposes, it has police, prosecutors, and prisons. You know, going back a, a few years to the Rodney King incident in Los Angeles in 1991, where we you know, this is one of the early occasions where we had actual videotape of police abuse. Uh, so we, we, we recognize uh, that the authority can be abused, but that doesn't invalidate the proper use of lethal force if necessary. And this, this is why the, the cries to defund the police in, in 2020 were, were so misguided. And, and to take it even further, the repudiation of broken window uh, policing... Uh, that was undertaken in the 1990s and led to a drastic reduction in crime in in city centers was also a mistake. What is broken window? That is, you break a window, you know, you throw a rock through a window, we're going to put you in jail. You've destroyed public property. Why why is that a, a good policy? Because it's enforcing the law. That's why. And that's what the government is supposed to do. It is supposed to have just laws and then enforce those laws and then punish those who break the laws and deprive other people of their life, uh, their liberty, or their property. And so when you do it on a small scale and little things and trivial things, it has these repercussions where if if you stop them from doing the little things, they won't do the big things. And so this drastic reduce in crime in the 1990s and into the 20th century, there's now been a spike in crime because of the repudiation of what is essentially a repudiation of the responsibility to enforce the laws, particularly in the hands of progressive district attorneys who will not prosecute. The one job, if you want to put it, get, reduce it to this, that, the, that the, the government has is to stop the bad guys and protect the good guys, and when they are within borders, to do so with police and with prosecutors and with prisons, and when they cross borders to do so with the military, when an invader, an evil-doing invader, tries to deprive us of life, liberty, and property, those the the, the government is involved in all sorts of things. The one thing it's supposed to do is protect us. So that's uh, that's B. A was punish lawbreakers, and B was protect the innocent. So civil government is charged to, number one, civil government has a God-ordained role. Number two, civil government is charged to ensure justice, and number three, civil government, uh, its uh, tasks and powers are limited. So you have, again, you have the polls, you have the anarchists on one end who say government shouldn't do anything, you have sort of the messianic view on the other end where the government is charged to do everything. And what Jesus says is, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God the things that are God's. There's Caesar's realm. There's a legitimate realm for Caesar, but it's not God's realm. So that's, a, that's among the most meaningful, important, radical, impactful things that Jesus ever said. There's Caesar and then there's God. And Caesar is not God. Why was that so impactful? Because all throughout the ancient world, Caesar was God. Right? The Roman Caesar was... was, was, uh, it was uh, divinity was attributed to the Roman Caesar. And that would be true of basically all the ancient empires. Whether you're talking about, uh, you know, you know the, 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 the ancient Babylonians or, or, or the Persians. Uh, all throughout the world, uh, the uh, a, a, a ancient, ancient China, right until 1911... The Chinese emperor was seen as divine, as divinity, and still in Japan today, the emperor still is seen as a deity. This is more typical than atypical. Throughout the history of the world, uh, divine powers and honors have been heaped on civil government. And when Jesus says, no, no, there's God and then there's Caesar, these are two different realms... And Caesar is not God, so you render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. But that is a limited realm, because then there's God. And Caesar is not God, so by definition, the realm of Caesar has to be limited. He's not charged to do everything. He doesn't have all the power on earth. He, 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 he's, not, uh, he, 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 he's not assigned to do whatever any particular politician thinks that the civil government should do. No, it has a, a limited task. And where that limitation is not recognized, there is enormous potential for abuse. And we've seen that in recent times. We don't have to go to antiquity when there's no restrictions on the power of the civil government. What are the kinds of things that happen? Well, go to the Soviet Union under Stalin, where tens of millions of people, literally tens of millions of people are killed. Uh, Go go to uh, Germany under Hitler, again, uh, where there 's no limitation upon the power the, the authority of the governing uh, the, uh, of those who are, are, are governing, then all manner of evil and wickedness is unleashed they, what, they, they, uh, The government is seen as having the power of, of life and, and death and uh, the, the right to deprive people of their life and of their liberty and of their property as though they were divine as though they were God. no Jesus says no, the civil government is is, is limited it is not charged to do everything on into the 20th century, Pol Pot, Idi Amin, and, to, and 21st century, Vladimir Putin. They're not charged with or given power to be the great provider or to solve all the problems or meet every need. No, what the government is to do is to, is to secure life, liberty, and property uh, for those who are under its jurisdiction. And so its powers are limited. So what's, what then, to return to the original question, what is our responsibility given what's behind the Apostle Paul's appeal here and the theory of government that we find in Scripture? That theory being, just to repeat myself, that theory being that the civil government does have a God-ordained role. Number two, it's charged to ensure justice by punishing lawbreakers and protecting the innocent, and yet its tasks and powers are limited. What's our responsibility then? I would say as Christians to work and vote to that end, that the civil government would ensure that uh, justice would be done, that the laws would be applied equally, that we not have a two-tiered system of justice where we have some people who get justice and other people who are denied justice, and we should work and vote so as to ensure that the government powers are limited, that, so that the government will protect us and not oppress us, and so that when we face trouble, which is inevitable that we're going to face trouble. An unjustly face trouble, whether it's in our personal lives, whether it's in the life of our family, whether it's in our life collectively as a church. When we face trouble, we want a government that understands that it is to ensure justice, that its powers are limited. And so we feel safe with the Apostle Paul in appealing to Caesar, to the civil government so that we can go on living as we believe God has called us to live. Preaching the message that we are called to preach. Maintaining the churches that we are called to maintain. Preaching that gospel that, uh, that we are meant to announce to the world and to bring us to the table to gather and enjoy together the bread of God. And drink the drink of God. And to partake of spiritual food and spiritual drink unmolested by the civil government because the civil government understands it's not, it's not God. Its powers are, are, are limited. And it's charged to protect our life and protect our liberty as individuals, as families, and, and, and as churches. And protect our property and, and our chosen utilization of that property. So as we gather at uh, the table, we understand that we have, a, we have life together as, as a Christian community. We gather Sunday morning. We gather Sunday night. We have a meal together Sunday night. On a monthly basis, we, we serve the Lord's Supper as an expression of our unity as Christians and of our identity as disciples of Jesus Christ.